0: Hey, welcome to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Great to have you join us today. My name is Dr. Dan, sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine. Man, it's so awesome to have you be part of our show. Remember, we're a sports medicine show, and we uh, basically talk about what's going on in the sports entertainment world with a sports medicine niche. We do it every week here on Docs and Jocks. Remember, you can follow us anytime, anywhere by going to docsandjocks.com. Find out more about our show, myself, Dr. Dan, as well as my co-host, Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. Ferris, thanks for being on the show today. Absolutely, man. I look forward to it. Man, we are very excited to have on some unbelievable guests, as always. In our first hour here on our uh, SB Nation National Syndicated Radio Show, Docs and Jocks, we're going to have on Lance Berkman. Now, if you don't know who Lance Berkman is, uh, we, we come from deep in the heart of Texas, so he was a favorite with the uh, Houston Astros for years and years, one of the three Bs, uh, Berkman, ba- uh, Bagwell, and Biggio. 2011 World Series champ with the St. Louis Cardinals, six-time Major League All-Star. We're going to be talking about Lance Berkman and about his chances of possibly going on and um, being in the in the Hall of Fame, as this is his first year up for balloting, talk about some of his stats and uh, why the argument can be made that he could be a Hall of Famer. We're going to have also in our second hour, if you ever miss our second hour, you can catch it on iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Uh, you can uh, – Listen to the lovely Miss Tracy Mutton with the Edge Mental Strength. We'll be talking about some of the ways you can use your mental strength to make yourself a better athlete overall. She is certified in sports psychology. we talk about some of the crazy fights that happened this week, Ferris, uh, between the uh, Mariners before the game started. Uh, We've got people uh, fighting uh, not only in baseball, but also... Also, we have baseball broadcasters fighting, which we're going to talk about that as well. Ferris is a baseball broadcaster. We'll talk about if he's ever been choked out during a broadcast as what happened with the Detroit Tigers broadcasters. So we'll talk about that and more here on Docs and Jocks with lovely Miss Tracy Mutton. But we would uh, really appreciate if you uh, be part of our show, and the way you can do that is going. On- by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and there you can click the Contact Us button, and uh, you can uh, write your email question to us, and we would love to have you be part of our show. Maybe it's a hip, a knee, a back, a shoulder problem that you're having yourself, and uh, we're not taking the place of your doctor. We're just trying to help you get back out on the field as we always do here on Docs and Jocks. Just go to D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. We'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks your Sports Medicine Radio Show after this short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Man, it is awesome to have you on our sports medicine radio show each week. Remember, we're our iTunes podcast or SB Nation iTunes podcast. Uh, You can hear both of those. Uh, Just go to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and you can click and link our to our podcast anytime, anywhere. My name is Doctor Dan, longtime sports medicine physician, along with Ferris Potter, a longtime sports broadcaster with Grand Canyon University. And Ferris, I thought we'd jump right into the uh, sports medicine news. As uh, right before, we have on Lance Berkman, the uh, six-time National League All-Star. On on the next segment, man, Ferris, the NFL is back, baby, and uh, the NFL with the Eagles, uh, they go ahead and they win an ugly one, eighteen to twelve. And, uh, you know, I say it's an ugly game. I was watching the game, and uh, most of the game was it came down pretty exciting at the end as Julio Jones uh, almost makes the uh, game-winning touchdown catch in the end zone where he's landed with his feet out of bounds. Uh, Nick Foles, who's filling in for Carson Wentz, I mean, he obviously even says, even though he was the Super Bowl MVP last year, that he is not the all-time or not going to be the starter for the Philadelphia Eagles when Carson Wentz came back. He, uh, once again, I think his best play – uh, as was probably his best play in the Super Bowl last year, was his receiving skills. They ran the uh, a version of the uh, Philly-Philly play, and uh, he caught a nice pass for a big first down that eventually led to their uh, score. But I thought, um, I watched Carson Wentz before the uh, game. Still has a slight limp. and Remember, he is coming back from a ACL reconstruction, LCL injury, and those are the big ligaments in your knee. The LCL is on the outside of your knee called your lateral collateral ligament. It stabilizes the knee from buckling uh in and then you also have your anterior cruciate ligament is the big ligament inside your knee that stabilize your knee from twisting and rotating too far and that had to be reconstructed and then you also had a meniscus tear and we talked about that at length last week on docs and jocks if you want to hear that you can go to uh, docsandjocks.com and uh, hear a show from last week with uh, dr dale funk where we talked about all the different ligament injuries but now they're talking ferris that wince may be out until uh october or further so it keeps getting pushed back he's uh now going nine to ten months since his last since his injury occurred, and it continues to get pushed back. I think the win last night by Philadelphia. Tell me if I'm wrong. I think that gives the Philadelphia Eagles a little bit of breathing room on letting Carson Wentz rehab. Their next three games are going to be against the Bucks, the Colts, and the Titans. Not exactly big-time Super Bowl contenders. So uh, I think that gives them a little breathing room, especially if they can win maybe uh, two and three of those games and go uh, three and three and one until Carson Wentz, Wentz gets back. What's your feel, Ferris?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to be cautious with him, and you're right. They, they should probably be 4-0 by the time that, that gets done and give him a full, you know, 12, 11, 12 months to recover, which is fairly typical for that because I think that it showed him last night. they got a lot of work to do if they want that team to go to the Super Bowl again. Yeah, They figure if they wince him with that team. So I think they're going to be very cautious with him because you don't want him to regress and miss the whole year or anything. Um, I, you know, I thought it was interesting. So many starters, you know, are, are taking time off during the preseason. Things. I mean, is that the reason the game was a little choppy at points? Is it yeah. because they need more preseason work? I, I don't know. But it was, you know, I didn't. See, I, I watched replays of of things on the game. I didn't get to see the game. But everybody I heard was like, that was a rough one to
0: watch. <laughs> yeah, you know, even like uh, Darren Sproles, who's coming back from his ACL injury, uh, he had. Last year, remember he had an ACL injury. He goes down and breaks his form on the same play. We we covered that here on Docs yep. and Jocks. What had happened? Uh, the, you know he is now, I believe he is in what his fourteenth year, something like that. Crazy, thirty five years old, and uh, he had five carries last night for a total of ten yards. He had seven catches. Remember he's a weapon out of the uh, backfield as well. Seven catches for four yards, so a total of fourteen yards on seven uh, carries in reception. So. Everybody said he looked, uh, looked good, but you never know. I I think these guys are coming off injury as well as the preseason now, maybe trying to stay away from injuries. I think you're exactly right. It was definitely a choppy game. There were some good moments in the game, but nothing that was spectacular in my mind as far as, you know, this, is a, this was smooth looking. You know, the Atlanta Falcons once again have a tough time in the red zone. They get down to the red zone multiple, multiple times and can't cash in on those. They almost did on the last play just from – Julio Jones being such a freakish athlete and being able to go and get the ball, but that almost won it for him.
1: If I if I was actually a Falcons fan, there's so many things to be upset about when they lost that Super Bowl to oh, Tom I know. Brady. Yeah, but the biggest thing was they were like, "Well, they're going to be keying on Julio Jones, so let's not throw it to him." The guy is on when he's healthy. He mm-hmm. is on. Un- Stoppable. There yeah. can be five guys on him. Just throw him the stinking ball. He's, he's <laughs> Inbounds. A, every preferably. year, he is
0: unbelievable. Yeah, he can jump higher than everybody. He has a long, long reach and is just absolutely amazing. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons running back, uh, Devontae Freeman, he uh, comes out uh, the game. He was limping on the sidelines. There was a scare about his knee. He now comes out. The reports are saying that he is fine and uh so you never never want to see a guy like uh Devonte Freeman early in the season get injured especially when you're going to be a key component with Matt Ryan back there in the backfield uh doing his thing as a running back. So he sounds like uh we got pretty lucky with him not going to be injured and out for a long period of time. One thing about Nick Foles that you may not may not know, Ferris, his contract was re- reconstructed, restructured this last year. He is now making 250,000 as a bonus for any game that he takes of the snaps in, and he's got a $250,000 bonus for any game that the Phillies win that he plays in. So last night alone, he just got $500,000. So him hearing that Carson Wentz may be out and through uh, October, he's probably okay with that.
1: Good night, man. Like you said, they're going to go 4-0 in the first four games. Yeah, That's a $2 million bonus for him if he goes (laughs) 4-0. You yeah. got a good agent. That's smart contract. It's smart affiliate. Honestly, it's smart Philly to sign it because he is a very good backup. And look, he won a Super Bowl. He's a very good football player. He's not as good as Carson Wentz, probably, but good for both of those teams. You know, the team they'll pay five million for four wins. They don't care. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, awesome, yeah. 2 million, yeah, it's 500,000 per game if he if he gets uh, 33% of the snaps and uh, they win the game, so yeah, absolutely crazy, I had no idea that's the way they got restructured, but pretty amazing when I heard that, but yeah, as a backup quarterback, speaking of backup quarterbacks, I've been reading uh, Case Keenum's book, it just came out, uh, Case Keenum's book, a new book released, is called uh, Playing for More, and it's a great read, I, I mean, I've just started uh, skimming through it, and uh, when he was at the Houston Texans, remember, he got cut, and the uh, coach, uh, O'Brien, cut him so he he thought when he went in he thought I'm going to ask him questions like hey what do you think I can do in the future to improve my career give myself a better chance to be a starting quarterback he said he walks in a Brian him, just basically says hey we're letting you go and says to him before he gets his question out and you'll never be anything more than a third string quarterback in the NFL so (laughs) Case was Case was pretty 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 kind in the uh, book and he said I didn't know if he did that to try and motivate me to be better but it did and so, but what do you think, Parish? you Think that was a, a motivational factor?
1: He said that for, but yeah. no, no yeah. I think these coaches are like, I want to inspire men. now No, you don't. Yeah, I know. They, mostly, uh, yeah, that that's a. <laughs> I don't think he did it to inspire him. Yeah, would, did Kate send him a note back when he got to the uh, NFC Championship and say? Hey, how's, how's, how are these apples? You yeah.
0: like apples, coach? You like <laughs> yeah. These? yeah. in uh, as in Goodwill hunting with Matt Damon. Yeah. How do you like these apples? But no, I don't think, I am know case Keenum and he's from the big country here. Our show comes out of uh, West Texas and his hometown is Abilene, Texas. So we know case very well. It's actually his uh, team physician when he was in high school. So I know him and his family are stellar uh, family. And uh, knowing that family, I guarantee case uh, did not say anything back and he did put it in his book. So I guess that's in a way letting him know, Hey, I'm, was more than a third-string quarterback. We asked him about that here on the show. If you remember, and you can listen to Case Keenum's interview we had about uh, just a few months ago. And you go to listen to that interview by going to docsandjocks.com, doxnjo xcom But we asked him if all the doubters and you know caused him to have extra motivation because remember he wasn't really recruited heavily out of high school. Houston was his only offer. He went to University of Houston. Then he does, goes undrafted out of University of Houston, even though he sets the all-time passing record in uh, the NCAA at Division One. Right. He then uh, becomes a free agent with the Houston uh, Texans who just pick him up basically because he's a hometown hero at University of Houston. He then uh, you know, makes the practice squad. He then becomes eventually the starter of the Houston Texans. And uh, then O'Brien cuts him. Then he obviously goes to the Rams where he starts. Then he gets cut. Then he goes to the Vikings and does his Miracle in Minneapolis. And he said, no, it it, it wasn't the fact – he wasn't inspired by those who doubted him. He was inspired by those who believed in him all the way. I thought that was really, really a uh, profound statement when he said that because you can do it one of two ways. You can let those kind of things bring you down when uh, your coach O'Brien says, uh, no, you're never going to be more than yep. a third-string quarterback in the NFL. Or you can use the people who believed in you, your parents, your, your coaches who believed in you along the way, your high school coach, your college coach, you know. He had some great college coaches along the way, Sumlin and his uh, coach at University of Houston, and Coach Hugh, Hugh Sandifer here at uh, Wiley, Texas. And he said, I, I, I'm playing for those guys, man. I want to prove that, you know, they were right all along. But speak to that for a moment about the guys who really
1: do make yeah, it well. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, I think that's rare. I think he's a rare bird. Most of the guys I've met, they're inspired by the doubters, and it ticks them off. But I think you have a better life if you're inspired by the, the believers. As the doubters, it's, it's yeah. rough. You're always finding it if you're inspired by the doubters. So Casey's probably more comfortable with his life and more happier person. Absolutely. <laughs> and,
0: hey, when we come back with Docs and Jocks, we'll have a Lance Berkman, man, six-times National League All-Star in Major League Baseball. We'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks Sports Medicine Radio Show. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show, man. Great to have you with us today. Man, if you ever want to catch our show uh, and you're not in our radio listening audience, you can go to our podcast at iTunes, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, or you can catch us on our uh, nationally syndicated SB Nation feed by going to Podcast Arena and listen to Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Hey, Ferris, we're honored, as always, to have on a good friend of Docs and Jocks, been on several times before, our good friend Lance Berkman. Lance, thanks for being on the show. Great. Thanks for having me. Man, Lance, I thought uh, in the past we've always talked, uh, we've talked strictly baseball and kind of uh, all the things that uh, you're involved in. I thought our listening audience, because this is your first year up for the uh, Hall of Fame ballot, and uh, so I thought our listening audience, I haven't done this in the past, and you're a very humble guy, but I wanted to kind of let our listening audience know some of your accolades in the past. In 1997, you were the National College Player of the Year, first team All-American at Rice. You won the College World Series that year, hit 41 home runs, uh, which is uh, third all time NCAA and 134 RBIs, second all time in the NCAA college baseball world. 15 year Major League Baseball career, six time National League All Star, 2011 World Series champ, where you hit 423 on base percentage, 516, slugged 577 to help the St. Louis Cardinals win the World Series. Nationally comeback player of the year in 2011, as well as a 2002 RBI champ. Finished top three in the NL uh, MVP voting uh, twice. And uh, only you were one of the three Bs, one of the killer Bs that helped the Astros back to prominence in a World Series appearance with the Astros hitting 385. And by the way, you are, I didn't realize this, you're only one of two switch hitters to ever hit 40 home runs uh, in multiple years, the other one being Mickey Mantle. And uh, you have a higher OPS at 943 than Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, Frank Robinson, and Mike Schmidt. Quite a career, Lance, man. I know that's a lot of numbers I just threw out there for our listening audience, but quite a career when you look back at it.
2: Yeah, it seems like he went by in a hurry, but uh, you know, some of those th- those numbers are are good, but some are a little bit misleading because some of those guys played a lot longer into what many would consider the twilight of their. I think Willie Mays played for like 24 years or something like that. So he was about 70 years old running around out there, and I'm sure that a- affected his uh, his OPS and all that stuff. So, uh, but it is great to. You know, to to have your name mentioned even in the same sentence with
0: those guys. Yeah, you know, and one of the things that you could have done is you could have played longer, but you know the reason. And we're a sports medicine uh, show here. The reason you retired partly is because of some knee injuries, different elbow injuries, different injuries to your body that you felt like uh, your you know your ability to play at the level you wanted to was starting to wane. So you chose to leave earlier than a lot of those guys did, but it was partly due to injury, was it not?
2: Oh, no question about it. And you know, it's one of those things where. Um, you mentioned it. it for me, I, I've always been the kind of guy that, like, you know, if I, if I was three for four, I would just kind of obsess over what happened that fourth at-bat. Like, I, <laughs> I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't be satisfied with just the three hits, and it got to the point where I wasn't able to compete, or I didn't feel like I was competing uh, like like I knew I had in the past or like I felt like I should be, and that was, that ultimately was too tough to take. Like, I just you know I didn't want to go out there and hit two fifty um, yeah. you know uh, which is kind of I think about what I batted my last year there I uh, just didn't 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 want to do that and and uh, had a family at home and one one thing that uh, happens now you know the the money in the game is 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 so good that uh, you most guys are not having to play as long uh, because they make you know you make plenty of money when you're in your prime whereas but- a lot of those older guys. I mean, heck, you know, that was the best job they were going to get, so they they held on to it as long as they could, and uh, so there was a lot of factors. But um, you know, certainly everybody. I I think you know, if you're like me, everybody always looks back and think, man, you know, what if, could I what could I have done differently or better, or I should have done this or that. But uh, I think just taking a step back and looking at my career, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with uh, you know with with the way it turned
0: out.
1: Absolutely, fierce. Lance, is it hard to turn that off? You said you, you you'd be obsessed with like at bat number four, and then you finally decide to retire. Is it difficult to make that switch? You've been a competitive athlete your whole life.
2: It it is a little bit. I mean, I think part of it, uh, you know, another part of the reason that that I that I decided to to stop playing is, you know, you, you get you kind of get tired of being in that mindset constantly, where you feel like you're always under the gun and you're and it's never good enough, and you're always, you know. Pushing yourself, um, and so I think really, I mean, there, there's no doubt that the injuries played a part in the the, the the physical part of ending my career. But really, more than anything else, I, I feel like the mental side of things. I just kind of got burnt out mentally of, of fighting that battle, and you know, having to be when you're playing at the major league level, you, you're you're competing on such a razor's edge. I mean, you got to be, you know, you got to be on your game every night, and and uh, after a while, it takes its toll. Uh, when you're when you're using that kind of emotional energy, and so um, it, it, anyway, it was just time. You know, I think the, the game kind of lets you know when it's time, and and for me, uh, it was it was time to go. So,
0: hey, Ferris, and I just got done uh, a couple of weeks ago. We were excited to hear that Jack Morris got. I mean, he's been on Docks and Jocks, and he was one of those pitchers that uh, didn't get in the Hall of Fame for a while. And then he finally got in because he was such a big game pitcher. He when it, when the spotlight was on, it seemed like uh, Jack Morris did his best. It seems like that was the case with your career as well. As you look at the uh, World Series he had with the Astros, you hit 385, led the team in RBIs. 2011 World Series, maybe the greatest World Series game ever, uh, was that Game Six game where you beat, you come back and uh, beat the uh, Texas Rangers. But you went four, you hit 423, 516, you know, on base percentage, slugged five twenty five seventy seven you know, when you look at uh, your career, man, it seems like on the big, the spotlight was on. The bigger the game, the better you did. Is that uh, what? What brought that about in your case? Fear. <laughs> I,
2: always, I always tell people. You know, I tell. I'm, I'm coaching high school. Which I think we talked about on on the last time I was on the show. But I always tell guys, look. I mean, you think you could run faster if we're if we're out here running for enjoyment or? If I turn a German Shepherd loose on you, you know you can always you can always run faster when you're running for your life. And so, uh, you know, when you get on that big stage, you, you kind of feel like you're playing for your life. And, yeah. and uh, for whatever reason, that always made me focus that much more, made me uh, play better than than maybe I could have or should have otherwise. And and so I think that's the main thing. Uh, and I and I will say that you know that's one. If I if I'm looking back on my career, the thing that I'm most proudest of is not you know some of the All-Star games or the individual things. It's the it's the you know the the performance in the World Series yeah. and the playoffs. I just feel like uh, that to me is the most satisfying part of of my career. Just looking back,
1: absolutely, Ferris. Lance, when you get in those or when you were in those pressure situations is it more about trying to focus more or do more or is it more about trying to do things exactly. Hey, you did it, even though there's so much pressure there, or is it a kind of a combination?
2: Yeah. You know, the, you can't keep it the same. I mean, that's what coaches talk about it all the time, really, because they've probably never been terrified like that when you have to perform, because <laughs> there's no way, you know, it's just impossible to trick your brain into saying, Oh, well, this is just the same as the regular season. It's not. And I think, I think the big game performers that I have been around that have had success went the other direction. They embraced it, and they acknowledged it for what it was. Like, this is a huge game. This is a huge moment, and, you know, allowed that to drive their focus to a level that, um, you know, that that it's hard to get it to in any other way. So, I mean, you know, some guys, when they get into those big games, you know, their focus gets too big. You know, they, everything kind of comes out and they get overwhelmed and they're seeing everything and they're trying, you know, so hard to, to, to do well that, that it backfires on them. But the guys that I've been around that really played well in big games, they, they made that go the other direction where it narrows the focus, it cleans the mind, it, you know, like there's no such thing as saying this is the same as the regular season. What they do is they say this is a big game and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, because it is, I'm going to get into a state of concentration that's so keen that all, you know, all I'm thinking about is what my job is and, yeah. you know, and how best to, to execute. And I think those, that's, that's the formula for success on the big stage.
0: You know, this year's Hall of Fame class is uh, pretty crowded with some big names. And a couple of those are your former teammates, uh, Mariana Rivera and Andy Pettit. So it's good to see you going in, hopefully uh, with some uh, friends of yours.
2: I mean, I think those guys will... I mean, obviously, Mariano's going to go in. He's a first-ballot guy. I think Ganny deserves to be a, a first-ballot Hall of Famer, much for some of the same... I mean, he's he is the biggest winner I've ever been around uh, in my entire life. I mean, you look at what he was able to do with the Yankees, and then he came over and helped us get to the World Series. And, I mean, he just has the it factor that people always talk about. So uh, I'd love to see him. I think he's a... In my opinion, he's a no doubt first ballot Hall of Famer, but you never know what they're going to do. So anyway, yeah, no, there's some there's some really talented guys, as there are you know most most every year, and not everybody can get in. And you know, I I don't anticipate uh, getting in. uh, You know, I really don't anticipate getting in at all. But if I do, I think it's going to be more of a you know like a Jack Morris situation, like you referenced earlier, where just over the course of time, you know, maybe as some of the um, the analytics statistics, you know, like the OPS yeah. and the all those kind of – like the, the counting stats, home runs and RBIs. As a, as a corner player, outfielder, first baseman, you know, they want to see you hit 450 homers and drive in 1,500 runs, and, you know, I didn't quite get there. Uh, but in terms of, like, on-base percentage and some of the things that they've, you know, recently started to value a little bit more as that as that trend continues, I think that I at least have a chance of getting in.
0: Hey, speed! If like and to watch guys play, have you enjoyed watching Matt Holiday, your former teammate, uh, back with the uh, Colorado Rockies, getting to play a little bit of uh, baseball, meaningful baseball here in September?
2: Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm really happy for Matt. You know, uh, he uh, he actually well. I don't know if it's been, you know, people know about it, but he had a mercury poisoning incident oh, wow. that was really. Uh, hindering him last year and I feel like he's just now getting healthy of course he's always been in great shape physically and he's the kind of guy that uh, because of the way he takes care of himself you know he, he might have another three or four good years in him so
0: well Lance we're big fans here man we're hoping uh, rooting that you'll get in the hall of fame and uh, man your number one stats are amazing if you go back from the decade of 2000 2010 one of the greatest power hitters also, that included on base percentage getting on base and hitting a 300 average. So, uh, Lance, we wish you all the best. Thanks for being on Docs and Jocks. We'll have you on again real soon. Thank you.
2: Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it.
0: All right. Hey, we're we'll right back more of your sports medicine radio show, Docs and Jocks, after this short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician here at Texas Sport and Spine, man, deep in the heart of Texas. We're coming to you from the uh, radio studios here with Docs and Jocks, joined each week with my co-host Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University, longtime sports broadcaster. Just came off a great interview with Lance Berkman, the uh, six-time uh, National League All-Star 2011 World Series champ, talking about uh, his days with the Houston Astros, St. Louis Cardinals, Rangers, and Yankees. And Ferris, I, one of the things I didn't bring up with Lance, he's a very, very humble guy. I met him in person, and he's a great, super great guy. Uh, that He was also voted by uh, Forbes magazine as one of the top 30 most generous celebrities and uh, I think it goes speaks volumes to guys like Lance Berkman, a, a good guy, man, a, a seriously good guy that people liked when he played. About getting into the Hall of Fame eventually, I think one him being so generous helps. I think the other thing you have to consider put it put it in the consideration box somewhere in his Hall of Fame picture. He played from really his decade where he really really shined was 2010 to you know or 2000 2010. Remember that is a steroid era. We have penalized guys like. Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, uh, Barry Bonds, the list goes on, of guys that we suspect of, you know, PED use or steroid use of some sort. So when you have guys like Lance Berkman, who says he's clean, has no, no nobody suspects that he was a steroid user, and he had those kind of numbers that he put up in that era, when you're going up against you know, the guys who are pl- using steroids. I think it's something to put in the consideration box. If you're going to hold it against the guys who used and they're not going to get a, a touch of the Hall of Fame, why not also elevate the guys, the good guys who didn't use, who were statistically very, very good during that era. Once again, one of the best power hitters for an entire decade who also hit 300. Very, very rare for that to happen. Once you get a higher OPS, and that's what OPS is, by the way. It takes in consideration your on-base percentage along with, your power hitting numbers higher than Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Mike Schmidt, uh Frank Robinson, great, great Hall of Famers, no question about it. But that's one of the things I would think you need to think about too. Very generous guy, very likable and a good guy that uh, no no indication of P E D use when he had those kind of numbers. What's your take, Ferris?
1: Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, you mentioned some of those guys. I mean Roger Clemens, it'll be what, his seventh year on the ballot, um you got um, Barry Bonds, going to be like his sixth year on the ballot. You got Manny Ramirez, who put up unbelievable numbers, but he did. Manny was one of the guys. He did get suspended, not for steroids, but for a masking agent, right? Yeah. So you don't, the only reason to take that is if you're taking steroids. So the Hall of Fame has said we're not going to let these guys in if we think. Sammy Sosa's another guy. If we think they did, Roger Clemens, Bonds. But they haven't yet said, well, we're going to take into effect on the other side. Yeah. How these guys' numbers would have been? A clean guy in that era, so it'll be interesting if they actually go that direction. Because Lance would be a guy yeah. that you know, you would say, well, he was clean doing it in these years. If everybody else dropped, you know, twenty home runs a year, ten home runs a year, he'd be right there. So, oh yeah. yeah, we'll see if they go that way or
0: not. Though for that entire decade, he ranked ninth in WAR, Wins Over Replacement, ninth in runs, seventh in RBIs, ninth in home runs, seventh in doubles, sixth in OPS, which combines your on base percentage with your with your um, power numbers and uh, seventh in uh, on-base percentage and ninth in games. While you take out the suspected steroid users during that decade, those numbers are even – he's even elevated that much higher. You'll never know exactly where, but he, if we are going to penalize those who used, I think uh, giving some consideration to those who were clean and did it the right way, had amazing numbers, uh, Lance Berkman would be one of those guys who would be uh, in consideration.
1: The other thing is I did – oh, go ahead. He that that test. You know, my, my test is you say his name. And the first thing you think, Hall of Famer or not. And I, I, quite honestly, when you say Lance Berkman's name, my first thought is not Hall of Famer. It's, man, he was a really good player I'd love to have on my team. Like Larry Walker. Yeah. Like, I don't necessarily think Larry Walker's Hall of Famer, but I think he was really, really good in that 10 year stretch that he played. Yeah. But also, I don't think Don Sun's Hall of Famer. He's in there. I don't think, like, Bly Levin and I don't think Nikra. I don't think a lot of those guys are Hall of Famers that are in. So, so, so maybe um, he does go in with those numbers and with that, that thought process. But when you first say his name, it's hard for us because we know we like him. He's yeah. a, he's a, when you first hear his name, do you think, oh, yeah, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer? Or do you think, well, wait a minute, let me think about it. Do you know why I do? Because I watched yeah. the Cardinals, and he was a Cardinal
0: killer. Killed him. I <laughs> watched I watched tons <laughs> of National League Baseball, and he killed the Cardinals. Absolutely just destroyed him. Then he comes over to the Cardinals in 2011, and if you watch that 2011 season closely like our family did – he was our MVP of that 2011 season. Remember, that was Poole's last season with the Cardinals, and he had a very fine season. But the guy you wanted up in the clutch situation was Lance Berkman that year. I think he ended up that year in 2011, finishing like seventh in the uh, National League MVP voting. So he had a, that stellar of a year. And he went off in the World Series. I mean, just absolutely held it. People forget in the game sixth where he's down to two outs, two strikes. He has to get a hit to drive a guy in from second or the Cardinals lose. He comes through with that clutch hit. Everybody remembers that one. He also hit a home run in the first inning of that game too, as well. So, he all the way through. You know, he hits 423, I believe, for the uh, series that year. Also hit three eighty five for the uh, the uh, Houston Astros. Had some clutch, clutch playoff home runs and big hits and plays for the Houston Astros to get them there as well. So, yeah, a lot of great moments for Lance Bergman in the big games.
1: Yeah, another thing I thought that he said that was very interesting is he said, well, part of the reason guys like Willie Mays and them, their OPS is down because because they played yeah. after their prime. Well, but they also racked up home runs and RBIs. Yes, I know. And so if, you know, Lance's last healthy year, he had 31 homers and 94 RBI. I mean, let's just say he got healthy again and played five more years to put himself yeah. to a 20-year career. You could you could easily give him 20 homers a year. That's 100 more and 75 more RBIs a year. Yeah. Well, now you're looking at he's right on the cusp of 500 homers. He's about yep. You know, 1800 RBI. Yeah. So it's a double-edged sword. His OPS stayed high because he he got out before his his numbers started going down. But he didn't he didn't pad yeah. the numbers with five extra years of you know playing 100 games and hitting 20 homers. Because you and I we we
0: barely caught the very tail end of Hank Aaron and Willie Mays' years to remember them. But, but what I do remember about Willie Mays is he hit 660 home runs. I do remember that Hank Aaron hit, uh, you know, 715. He ended up hitting more than that after he broke Babe Ruth's record. But I do remember those total numbers. I don't remember that the bad years, you know, happened or the, the down years or the or the declining years happened. I just remember the total numbers. So you're exactly yeah, were, right. Um, yeah, Lance was being humble by saying that. And his OPS may have gone down, but you're right. His total numbers would have gone up. And if you get close to 500 home runs and Lance Berkman, you know, playing from 2000 to 2010 or 2020 – you know, yeah, if he gets close to 500 home runs, he would definitely be a higher chance of getting in the Hall of Fame. But uh – you know, once again, it's because of sports medicine issues that he leaves the game. He has, yeah. ends up having a knee surgery and uh, has a uh, meniscus tear, and, he, you know, his knees hurt him, and he does, he's not able to play the way he wants to play. He goes on the uh, disabled list multiple times for the Texas Rangers after he goes over to them after the St. Louis Cardinals in 2012, had a disabled list uh, stint as well. So, yeah, it was because of those injuries is the reason he retired early and probably the reason he's not a first ballot or a surefire Hall, Hall of Famer in a lot of people's minds.
1: You know what I like about the interview too. Uh, you know, and then we can we can move on. But um, he seems really at peace with what he's doing in life. I mean, we a lot of times we get these guys who have to hang it up a little early, and they always have a regret. They they yeah. don't know how to live life, not being in the locker room with the guys and all that stuff. He seems totally fine with. it. He's like, it actually is kind of nice to make that move, that transition back into being just a a regular guy because I'm not on you know 24 seven 162 games a year. Um, so that was I mean, he sounded really really. At peace with, hey, that was my career. That's what I did. I had some good stuff. I left and now I'm just doing my thing. So I. Yeah. And he talked about Opaline
0: in a previous interview, so I don't think he would mind me saying this, but he is a man of faith and uh, he said he finds his joy and his fulfillment through his faith in Jesus Christ. So I think that's a big part of that, uh, what you hear coming through, that he's at peace and he's okay with where he's at. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Well, case, you know, we talked about Case in the first segment, same way, you know, not for hating on him and saying you're never going to be a third string, but like, oh, okay, thanks, coach. I'll just, you know, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. like, it, you know, so yeah, yeah. But as a I like, I, I you know, I mean, I like. I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer or not. I hope he gets in, just because it'd be nice for a good guy to get a win. You know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: And by the way, he's voted by Forbes. I don't know if I said this on air or not, but voted by uh, Forbes that he's in the uh, top thirty all time most generous athletes. So really, really yeah. cool. Yeah. I just can't bring that up enough as well. So what a great guy. Hey, I uh, want to talk a little bit more sports medicine issues. Uh, and uh, one of the things going on right now is that it's so cool to see Serena Williams, who we talked about about a year ago after her childbirth, uh, the birth of her daughter, having serious complications after the birth of her daughter where she was dealing with blood clots and nearly uh, you know, fatal blood clots. We are talking about pulmonary embolisms. And uh, Serena Williams is now going to be up against uh, 20-year-old Japanese tennis player Naomi Osaka for the U.S. Open Championship in the women's uh, bracket. And so it's going to be uh, cool to watch her play. I can't believe that just a year after going through all that and being down for as long as she was that she's actually going to be back playing, beat her sister uh, Venus on her way to uh, the championship now. But I believe this is going to be her, and I, I may be off of this, I think it's going to be her potential seventh u.s open win so man cool to see serena back and playing well and uh, kind of getting her stride back and seems to be getting stronger as the u.s open continues on
1: pretty cool you know we don't we don't know i don't know the history of women's tennis that much i can name some names i i've never seen a better woman's athlete mm-hmm. uh tennis player i mean i think she's the greatest of all time whether she wins this one or not just the power how how, how aggressive how complete package she is you know she just dominated her way some of these wins were 6-1-6-2 yeah. on her way against the best field so we'll see what she does in the championship but I think we're seeing the best women's tennis player ever I mean the Steffi Graf fans the Navratilova fans they might disagree but I mean she's on the Mount Rushmore in my opinion yeah. already and growing up Chris Everett I mean I don't
0: know where she is on the all-time list but she was always the one of my uh, growing up years that I thought was great great but probably the best US the one She was just cute. She was cute, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no problem there, but she's a great tennis player too, absolutely. Hey, the Japanese uh, Babe Ruth, uh, uh, Shohi Otani, man, he looks like now he has been uh, deemed for possible elbow surgery, ulnar collateral ligament surgery. They did a repeat uh, MRI of his elbow, and they found that there was new damage to the ulnar collateral ligament. Remember, that's the ligament on the inside of your elbow. A ligament holds one bone to another bone. A tendon holds a muscle to a bone. A ligament's a a bone to a bone. And the one on the inside of your elbow, if you – If you put your arm up like in a pitching motion, like at 90 degrees from your shoulder, and your elbow's bent at 90 degrees, and you pull your hand back, that's stressing the inside of your elbow, and that's called your ulnar or valgus stress, which stresses your ulnar collateral ligament. And so he has now said he's going to go, possibly going to undergo Tommy John surgery. So here's my question for you, Ferris. So he's doing the day he finds out that he's going to have Tommy John surgery is the day he goes out and hits two home runs. He's now hitting. Uh, I believe he is uh, a 946 OPS, so he's, his on-base is great. His, his slugging is good. he got 18 home runs and 279 at-bats, so he's basically a 36-home run guy in a regular year. Should he even put put up the pitching and just become a great right fielder for the uh, Angels? I think Calhoun's in his last year of his contract. If not, he's very, very close. Should he just become a great right fielder and hit 35 home runs a year and have an OPS near one? I mean, man, why not? Yes. 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 Yeah,
1: absolutely. Why are they
0: monkeying around with the old pitching thing? He's good.
1: Yeah, I mean, get the surgery so he can throw from right field and just be a hitter.
0: Yeah, because his uh, ERA right now is three three point three one, sixty three strikeouts and fifty one innings. So I mean, he throws one hundred miles an hour, has a great fastball, great splitter, but. Man, I just say, if you got a guy that's that good of a hitter, just let him play right field. He's got a cannon. What
1: about this, Dr. Dan? I mean, we always talk about the hitter and the pitching. What if he becomes a closer? What if he plays right field every day and is just a closer? Like Little Leagues, you bring they him, said him in from right that they, It's the interesting, team.
0: but when do you pull him out of right field to get him ready? When does he get ready? All those kind of things. Yeah, there's a few questions. Like the Little League. He just comes in and throws a <laughs> <other pitches laughs> yeah. ready to roll, baby. Yeah, that would be cool. I mean, you never see that except a <laughs> Little League. Little League, you're playing shortstop. You just walk in, throw seven pitches from the mound, and you're ready to go, baby. You go. Yeah.
1: You're ready to rock. Stop monking around
0: with all this warm-up stuff. Come on, You don't man.
1: need warm-ups. You don't yeah. need stretch. Come on, relax. Hey, it's we're getting,
0: we're getting ready to hear a little mental strength minute with the uh, edge mental strength uh, Tracy Muntin. She's uh, going to be on our show in the second hour. So we got one more segment here in our first hour. Great to have you join us here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Remember, you can hear us at docsandjocks.com.
3: I recently saw an interview with the great football player, Joe Namath. Namath stated, when you have confidence, you can have a lot of fun. When you have fun you can do amazing things. This statement is so true. Confidence is a vital part of being a successful athlete, but for many it does not come easy. Many of the athletes I work with struggle with confidence. They oftentimes do not feel like they measure up or many times put so much pressure on themselves for perfection that they have trouble being confident. Here at The Edge Mental Strength Training we work with athletes to develop the skills that lead to increased confidence. We firmly believe that every athlete can learn to gain confidence in their preparation, practice, and performance. If you or an athlete you know are interested in learning more about developing confidence, you can reach our site by clicking on the link at Docs and Jocks. Here you can also take a free mental strength assessment and see where you rate on different mental attributes. Even if you live out of town, we can review this assessment with you by phone. So be confident and take the assessment today. This has been your Mental Strength Minute. Hey, welcome
0: back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan. Great to have you joining us today. Man, if you ever want to catch our second hour of our show, you can do so by going to our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, or catch us on the SB Nation Podcast uh, feed on uh, Podcast Arena at SBNation.com. Just go to Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. And Ferris uh, Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University, longtime sports broadcaster, my co-host each week. I thought we could uh, talk about something maybe in your realm. There's been a lot of fighting this week. We're going to talk later on with uh, lovely Miss <laughs> Tracy Mutton in the second hour, our uh, certified sports psychologist. Uh, we're going to talk about the Mariners fighting before the uh, game and uh, just craziness going on there at the end of that, as the season implodes for the Mariners who start off with such uh, promise. But uh, we also see it now the in the uh, announcer's booth. The Detroit Tigers announcer, this is a bizarre story, Ferris. And Ferris is a, yep. a baseball broadcaster. Rod Allen and Mario M- I don't know, M- Pimba, I think believe his, his name, they uh, decide that uh, they both want to sit in a special chair. And so <laughs> uh, one of them gets out of his seat. I think Mario gets out of his seat, and he leaves the room, and uh, the Allen guy comes back or vice versa. I'm not sure how it goes. And uh, then they both leave the room, and Rod Allen decides he's going to choke out Mario, and he puts him in a chokehold, and they're having an altercation so bad. The others see it, and then they decide to take separate flights home. Uh, I think then uh, Kirk Gibson and the other partner who does the broadcast take over the broadcast. Have you ever seen the likes of two? I've never seen two broadcasters, in my opinion, that I felt had on-air angst. It may happen. They're probably really good at covering it up because most professionals are. But to have that yeah. much angst that you fight each other uh, in, the, uh, in the in the in the break—that's crazy.
1: No, most a lot of broadcasters like each other a lot. I mean, Mike and Mike on ESPN in the morning for years. They hated each other for years, but they just—they were professionals, yeah. so they just made it work. Um, I've never been in a fight with a broad. Never wanted to fight a broadcasting partner. Usually, I'm paired with ex-athletes who are like six five, six six. <laughs> so that's a big reason I don't ever want to fight those guys. But. I, I literally, I mean, I, I, you should fire them both. I mean, that's ridiculous. That is that's crazy. Ridiculous. Yeah,
3: so. No, well, uh, the,
0: come the, on. But the agent for Allen uh, is now denying that the choke ever happened. So who knows whatever, <laughs> what actually happened. Hey, we'd love to have you part of our show. Thanks for being on Docs and Jocks. We'll see you next week on your sports medicine radio show, Docs and Jocks.
2: We're listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Buffalo Wild Wings, First Financial Bank, and MDI Abilene. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris.
0: Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Thanks for being here on our second hour of our sports medicine show. Man, you can always catch our show anytime, anywhere by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and there you just click on uh, Listen Now, and you can listen to our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks. You can also catch us on the SB Nation podcast, uh, podcast Docs and Jocks as well. D O X N J O X. Joined each week by Ferris Potter, the voice of Green Canyon University. And Ferris, uh, man, had been a fun week in the uh, sports medicine world. A lot of crazy stuff going on. We were just talking about the fight that happened uh, with the announcers in Detroit. Craziness there. I don't know what the heck happened going on in the world. And then uh, we also had a fight with the uh, Seattle Mariners. Man, if you if you remember the Mariners, they have been a club that has been one to reckon with. They really were kind of picked to be cellar dwellers, and they've did yeah. good to start the season. And they just tanked after the All Star game. So now you got D. Gordon and uh, Juan Segura their shortstop. Uh, D. Gordon goes out and nicely, politely asks the uh, media to shut the doors, shuts the doors, but they left a window open so they could see what was happening. And then then Gordon and Segura started fighting each other. There weren't any injuries that we heard of through this. But uh, man, what a uh, tense moment for the team! We're gonna be talking to lovely Miss Tracy Mutton in our second hour here, who is a uh, specialist certified in sports psychology about what goes on with teams. But man, the dog days of summer have hit the Seattle Mariners. Do you do you agree?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's still only five and a half games out. I mean, they got to get things going right to catch Oakland, who's playing well in New York, but they still got a chance. Um, I mean, I guess it's just weird, you know, they they get in the fight over possibly an an air that made or miscommunication or something and you know you just wonder about that clubhouse when two guys are going to fight i mean sometimes it can excite the clubhouse and get them going when we see bryce harper and uh i figured it was the picture that grab papal you know, yeah and, and then it kind of people took sides and it kind of spurred them a little bit or you can just have people kind of cash it in and just say you know screw this i'm done i'm done with these knuckleheads you know but yeah, yeah Segura, team Segura has always been a little, you know, hothead type, but I haven't known D Gordon to be that way. So that's interesting that he was involved in it.
0: Yeah, and you know, you'll, I guess it's a good thing if teams are passionate that they want to fight each other. At least shows, like you said, there is some passion left in the team as opposed yeah. to we're just turning it in. The, the, the season's over. We've had a, you know, we lost it now. We're five games out, and they're going to not play the rest of the season. So I guess in a weird way, it can be uh, a positive that they're actually yeah. still fighting each other. I don't know. I'm trying to trying to find a positive. Our good friend I mean, Steve Hecht, who's been on our radio they or been on the Docks and Jocks before, he used to be the uh, Mariners uh, sports psychologist, so maybe they want to reconsider hiring him again to bring him back to help with the Mariners. Absolutely. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we'll be right back with more of your Docs and Jocks sports medicine radio show after this short commercial break. Hey, you're listening to Docs and Jocks.
2: and jocks brought to you in part by west texas neurosurgery abilene tech and sports clips touchdown now back to more docs and jocks with dr dan and ferris
0: hey welcome back to docs and jocks this is dr dan coming to you with my co-host each week ferris potter and ferris i thought we could cover some sports sports medicine injuries here in the news while we uh, right before we have our interview with our certified sports psychologist specialist tracy munton with the edge mental strength and uh um, Man, a couple of things. I wanted to finish up the Shohei Otani injury. We talked about it in the first hour. The uh, star player from Japan who's a two-way player, both an outfielder as well as a pitcher. And, you know, one of the things about elbow injuries, remember he had an elbow injury and they sat him out for a period of time. They gave him some relative rest. We talked about how uh, they used what's called a platelet-rich plasma injection where you inject your body's own healing properties back into the uh, ligament that's having the injury. And they tried what's called conservative care to see if they could avoid doing this uh Tommy John surgery where they actually reconstruct the ligament by weaving a figure of eight pattern into the uh, elbow with, that, with a new, uh, new type of ligament. And um, he, he said uh, a couple things. With the injury, he was glad that he, the, the team said they were glad they tried to get him back without having to do surgery. But you know what the number one predictor of elbow injuries is? If you had to just guess, if you looked at all studies, what the number one predictor of all elbow injuries injuries might be. It's, no. It is a previous elbow injury. And so you and I always said this. If you have had – if they tell you as a pitcher you're going to go on the DL for forearm tightness, elbow strain, elbow sprain, they give it lots of different names, that that is the number one predictor of whether or not you're going to have an elbow injury down the road. And the reason is is a ligament is like a rope that has been frayed once you get it injured. And so think of a, a, a rope between two bumpers of two trucks going opposite directions. If they first take off, it's going to fray the rope initially. Even if they stopped at that point in time and you took the rope off the truck, where that weakening, where that fraying occurred, that's going to be a weak spot in that rope, right? So the initial injury makes the rope in the future more likely to give way. And so that's why you say the number one predictor of an elbow injury in the future is an elbow injury you had in the past. And so that's probably where Otani is. You know, he injured the elbow to the ligament and sprained the uh, ligament. And so, you know, he's missing a period of time. With that healing down, once it heals down, he still now goes back out and throws 100 miles an hour, nasty splitter, nasty slider, puts a lot of stress on the elbow, and then boom, he's right back uh, now. He's talking about having Tommy John surgery after the new MRI, show there's more damage than the first one was. So that's just just for our listening audience. So once you've had an elbow injury and you get better from it, you still have a higher likelihood of having another elbow injury. that makes sense, Ferris?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I Hey, we talked about it in the first segment, first, first hour. I, I think the guy should become a closer. Play right field, be a closer. You warm him up in between innings, like about the seventh, eighth inning. It happens in college all the time. You'll see a guy come into the dugout, and instead of going to the dugout, they'll go like behind the dugout or they'll run down to the bullpen, you know, to warm up. I think it's genius. He should be the closer for the Angels and the starting right fielder. There you go.
0: There you go. Hey, big injury in the news, uh, though. Former MVP Josh Donaldson, who missed a lot of the. uh, Regular season with the Toronto Blue Jays, big time power hitter. I mean, he was just he was the MVP like I don't know three or four years ago. Uh, he gets traded yeah. to the Indians and didn't know if anybody was going to pick him up because he kind of had this injury risk. He now goes with the Indians and uh, lo and behold, he has another injury. Ferris, tell us what
1: those injuries were. Yeah, I mean, you know, he hasn't played a major league game since May 28th due to a, a calf injury. I believe this is left calf. And when the Indians traded for him, they did I mean, he he was owed four million bucks. Toronto paid 2.7 of it. So it was really just rolling the dice, right? Because this guy can be electric if he's healthy. Um, they put him on the DL, retroactive September 1st. He can come off September 11th. Uh, just try to give him more time with that cap. He's already started his rehab. In AAA, he walked and hit a grand slam, his first rehab assignment. So Cleveland's just hoping that he'll, you know, he'll, he'll come back. They'll catch lightning in the bottle for a couple of weeks, but – That calf has been bugging him so much so that he hasn't played since May 28th. and So they can't quite figure out how to get it healed. Oh, those calf injuries are so hard because you have such a high tensile
0: load on your calf. Your calf is a... uh... A group of muscles, there's your gastrocnemius muscles, which you have one on the inside called your medial gastrocnemius, and then your lateral one on the outside called your lateral gastrocnemius, and then you have a soleus muscle which lives underneath those pretty muscles of your calves. You know, you always you go up on your tippy toes, you see those two bellies of your gastrocs, and then underneath that, closer to your tibia, you have one called your soleus. Those three muscles become a unit, a group of muscles that goes down and becomes your Achilles tendon, which is what attaches your, your muscle to the eventually to the bone and so that sling as it gets really really tight there's just a ton of pressure on it every time you run jump push off of it six times your body weight we've talked about this in reference to uh NFL linemen who have a very hard time coming back from calf ruptures which happens uh that was uh i was just watching uh, last night uh when uh Dan Marino that was what eventually ended his you know non-injury streak that he had for so long he was like Mr. Durable and he ruptures his calf and so um